Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Baer. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning. Uh, like Joel mentioned, we're on the middle of a series called, called Our Imperfect Family. And the irony of that image that you can see is that sometimes how it feels like we should appear, uh, like everything's together and every kid is in order and the family's just kind of one big happy family. Uh, you think this until you have a family and you realize like this never is actually what happens. Um, even today, you probably experience part of the imperfectness of family life. Just trying to get to church on time sometimes is a big struggle. Amen. Okay. And so just so we're on the same uh, page, all of us uh, don't have to live up to this image. We, we are all imperfect. Uh, here in the church, we're also an imperfect church family. Um, and in our home life, we are an imperfect biological family. But despite our imperfections, the greatest news that we have is that Jesus actually wants to help us. And he makes us right where we are, despite our imperfections, despite the struggles that we have. And he also meets us where we are, even despite some of our families that we've come out of. Uh, some of those experiences can be very difficult. And so in this series, we're talking about how do we get really on the right track despite ourselves and despite the experiences that, that we've had. And so far in this series, we, we started a few weeks ago talking about really God's design for family. Like, what's the point of family? Like, why do we have one? And what we realize as you dig into scripture is that the family is actually God's idea. It's not something that just a bunch of humans just came together and thought like, let's do this. Uh, actually, it, it was God's design and it began uh, with, with marriage. And so we talked about the point of the family. And then uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, marriage and teaming together as a married couple and what that looks like. And uh, for those of us that have maybe broken marriages or building on our second marriage, uh, we're also in this series talking about how do you build on the rubble Again, despite the imperfections and really the idea of how does God meet us as we, we start over. And then last week, we talked about a parenting and how parenting oftentimes can feel like we're just trying to survive. But to do it God's way, you find there's a tremendous amount of power and blessing that comes when we decide to ask him for help. And so today, we're kind of building on everything we've talked about so far, talking specifically about the atmosphere and the right one. The idea of an atmosphere is we don't think about it, but here's, here's the def definition. It's a surrounding influence or environment. Oftentimes, the atmosphere of something is what you feel. You may need not to say anything, but it's just how you feel as you enter into different spaces. That word environment is important. There's a certain environment. Now, each of us have an atmosphere that we grew up with. Uh, for me, I knew uh, growing up when my dad came home from work, he was an aircraft mechanic. He worked long, hard hours. I knew that part of the atmosphere was when dad got home, he was hungry. And you don't mess with dad when he's hungry. So you let dad kind of get some food and then the dust settles. And if you're a man, you can kind of understand that. Sometimes our interactions, if we've had just this really hard day at work, when we come home, uh, we need a little space. And that's part of this atmosphere that can be created. Uh, you can also have an atmosphere in the home that was warm and accepting, or it was tense and very cold. And so all of those experiences influence us. And you may grow up thinking like, I want home life just like I grew up with, or the opposite. I want a home life that's completely different, depending on, on your experience. But today we're talking about like the kind of atmosphere really for the right relating. Now, the good news with this is it doesn't matter if you are married, if you have kids or not. This is actually the right atmosphere for the Christian relationships. So it actually cuts through all the different relationships we have. As we walk through this and dig into the scriptures together, 
I want you to pay attention to how this contrasts to uh, our cultural and world's kind of view of what relationships are. And so oftentimes, to kind of pick up on that is look at what different sitcoms celebrate. Like, what do they value? What do we laugh at? Um, And the popular shows of our day reveal what we think family should be. So as always, we have to take a step back and say, well, based on what we're experiencing and what we're kind of saturating and kind of drawing in from culture, does that match up with with God's ways? And so we hope to clarify that uh, for you. So what I want to do is talk about some spaces, okay? We're going to have a little bit of fun on the front end. I want you just to kind of, we're going to look at some different environments, and I want you, okay, are you ready to participate? Is everyone awake here? Early service? Okay, this is participation, all right? I want you to just yell out a word that comes to your mind when we talk about the environment. Now, uh, there are kids here, so please may the word be helpful, okay, uh, for, for all of us. So uh, what are the ideas in our minds of how we should behave, relate, and, and like operate or live in different spaces? Okay, here, here's the first one. What comes to your mind when you enter into this space? Tired? Sweat? Smelly, yeah. Like, what's the environment? Well, it really stinks, but if you're uh, used to the gym, that's like your world. Like you're like, these are my people. And you kind of walk in, your chest kind of, you know, right? For me, I don't make eye contact with anybody. And I'm at an age where my, my family have been, you know, joking with me. But like gym right now is like me going to the sauna. And then I leave. But I've sweated. That counts. Okay. All right. We're going to move on to the next one. Uh, what about this environment? Cubicles work. What do you think? Noisy, boring. <laughs> Did somebody say germs? <laughs> germs, that's, that's probably fitting. Okay, what about this one? Expensive, yeah. You, you go in wanting like one pack of something and you leave $250 later. Samples? This is what I call my happy place. I love Costco. Long lines. But depending on how you view this, your, your kind of experience with the atmosphere depends on your perspective of it. If you don't like shopping where you can get more than you could ever want of one product, you're not going to like Costco. What about this? Watching the game. Fun? Smelly. I think each one we could say potentially smelly or germs. I think those could apply to, to all of them. Noisy, but different environment. Now, what about this one? Just gal shopping. See, so it's funny that the people who really love the previous slide usually don't like this one. And the ones that didn't like the previous one usually like this one. Yeah, ching, ching. <laughs> yeah, get your credit cards out. Those bags alone, even with nothing in them, those are expensive. Those are more than 10 cent bags, people, okay? And then what, what about this one? Home life. chaos, right? So each of these have a different environment. Now, now let, let's, let's shift gears. Each of us actually have an atmosphere of your home, and, and the next slide is our front door of, of our house. That's our, that's our front door. So when we, before we enter and open those doors and enter into our home, there's an atmosphere that exists beyond those doors. And when I'm talking about atmosphere, I'm not just talking about the temperature that we set on the thermostat, which even families can fight about that. Most of the time, there's usually people in the family that always want it really cold. 
and there's people that run it, let's just say, not as cold, right? That can cause conflict in itself. I'm not talking about the, the temperature that we set through the thermostat. I'm talking about the temperature that we set through how we live. That's what today's about. The environment, the feel, how we treat each other, how we respond to each other. This atmosphere is one of the most important factors for how relationships will thrive or not. It's actually how we treat each other. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. So for the rest of our time, I want to really talk about how do you build the right kind of atmosphere. Now, I want to give a caveat. Sometimes when we talk about Scripture and really God's ideal, when we use that word ideal, it can come across like it's plastic or utopian, like it's not real. But with God's grace, it doesn't mean that when you learn it, you just have to be 100% that or you're lost. The idea is like it's a picture of this is where you need to head. And so as we talk about things today, you may just take a step back and think, like, that's not me at all. That's not my family. That's not what I do. That's not what my spouse does. That's what my kids do. And it can almost feel like that's not us, and so we, we can tune out. But what God's doing is he's actually calling us to this higher purpose, to something more. And so even if you find yourself being discouraged, I encourage you to fight that feeling. Instead, focus on, okay, where am I and where do I need to be? And you'll find that's a lot better position to be in. Discouragement actually shuts us down, and we think it's lost, like we can't move forward. So even the things that I'm talking about today, these are things that are convicting for me and my wife, and we've been talking about these just in our own home this last year. How do we keep working on the environment and the atmosphere of our home? And as the pastor of Ridgeview, how do we keep working on these atmosphere issues for us as a church and in our small groups and with people that serve? And like, as we do sports camp next week, there's a certain atmosphere of that event. We have to always look to this and keep working at it and ask God, God for help. Um, this series has been a little bit different. I've asked you guys to, to participate. Um, and last week I asked what the, kind of what the sense of your atmosphere of home life, and I want to share those, those results. Uh, the majority was actually warm and accepting of 41%. Now, sometimes this is even difficult because last week you could have been feeling really good about home life and maybe there was a really rough week. So those percentages could be skewed. But if you look at the other categories, tense was 24, 20% was fun, 16% engaged. Well, if you do tense and disengaged, that's 40%. And so depending on where we are, um, there's going to be struggles that we all have. Remember, our imperfect family. So how do we move towards this warm and accepting environment that really does reflect not just feeling of warmth, and acceptance, but, but actually according to God's standards. So that, let's talk about that. Let's dig into the scriptures. Uh, here's the, the reality of the atmosphere. And it's not just an ambiguous, how do we set the tone? But God's given us a standard. And God wants the atmosphere in our homes to maximize growth. God wants you to grow in your relationships. He wants the people that you relate to to grow as well. God is always moving us towards growth. That's actually why he's good, because he helps us grow. And as we grow and we become more like him, we actually do experience more blessing, not without hardship and not without difficulties and not without obstacles, but we're not just supposed to stay the same. We're either moving forward or, or we're moving backwards. And so God wants the atmosphere of these places where we live to actually help us grow. And I want to share a scripture that's specific to, to the family life, but it applies uh, 
to really the environment in general. And this is Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you are a dad, uh, this is actually specific to you. Um, but if you're a mom, uh, you're also a part of this, this principle. Now, the reason it's directed to fathers is, I believe, twofold. The first is, the father, according to scripture, is actually the head of the household. That can seem like, like a 1950s ideal. Like that seems like the old America. But actually, that's, that's biblical. There has to be a leader in any team, in any group, in any business, in any organization, and the family's the same. The idea is, if there's a problem with the family, God will come to somebody. And the person that God comes to is the father's, is the husband's. It's, it's, it's the man. Now, the reason this is, is because God has appointed them as leaders. But even though they're responsible and God comes to them, the idea of this scripture is actually for the whole family. And so it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the second reason I think this is directed to fathers is I think fathers can also exasperate more so than mothers can. And the idea of, of exasperating is to frustrate, to provoke to anger, um, put your kids in a position where they, they can't win. Usually dads tend to challenge their children more than mothers. Mothers tend to nurture. You can see this. It's, it's not hard to, to see. You, you can experience this in relationships. Most of the time, if a child gets hurt, they're not going to dad. In my experience, that's not been the same with my kids because I'm, first off, I'm like, that's a mess. And oh, do I tape that? Is that a tape, like duct tape? Or is that like a Band-Aid, you know, like trying to figure out, just put pressure on it, you know? Okay, that was a little too much information, but you get, you get, what, I'm, you get what I'm saying. So I think it, it, it's also speaking to the role that, that dads have specifically of encouraging your kids or crushing them. And so I do want to speak to the dads about this. Dad, your, your role, dads, regardless of the role that your dad had in your life, you have such an impact on how your child will be accepted and how they feel okay. And, and the idea is, is, do you really like them? That's what every child is asking. Every child knows that their parents love them, but mostly, especially for dads, they want to know whether you like them. Are you okay with them? If a child goes through family life and through the world questioning that, they're gonna run into a lot of problems because their whole life, they're gonna be searching for that kind of acceptance from their father. And you can see this in culture, the stats. If you look at just households that don't have a father present that's actively involved in loving and raising the kids, the stats just shoot through the roofs of the dysfunctional families. And so, man, you have a role to play. The reason I'm speaking to this to you is in our culture right now, they don't know what to do with men. They actually aren't calling men forward. But the scriptures call you forward to live the higher purpose for which God's given you. It's actually to lay your life down for your family. It's to sacrifice. It's to do all that you can to do what this scripture says. And then moms, you have a role to play in that. This, again, is a team effort. And so this environment and this atmosphere is really for both. And so I talked a little bit about these words, but I want to highlight, and you'll see a few of them. I talked about the exasperating, that provoking anger, the frustrating, 
Um, sometimes this just feels, if you measure this, maybe with a child that just sighs. Now, it's not just the sigh like they don't want to do it. But if a child keeps wanting to do something and they find out, and they give you that face, they could be exasperated. It's like, I keep trying to do what you tell me to do and I can't, I can't win. That's that, that idea of exasperation. Now, the contrary to that is like two pictures. You either exasperate, this is this provocation, or there's this bringing them up. And bringing them up is actually this idea of, of rearing, to rear your children uh, to maturity. The idea is there's this, this cherished relationship. This is the most important relationship that exists within the family. Like we have an opportunity to raise the next generation. And that bring them up actually connotates, you can't see this in the English, but to bring them up is like this, this warmth and encouragement and concern. So in the contrast to this exasperation is it's like, there's this cherish, like this is our family unit who God has given us, and we have an opportunity to help them and to raise them and, and to train them. And that's the next word, the training. Uh, this is actually aggressive instruction. Uh, this can also be translated discipline. Actually, every child will be trained, every child. The question is, who will train them? It's actually not the role of schools to train the children. It's the role of the parents. It's not the role of movies or songs or the media to train, but if that's what your kids are mostly exposed to, they will be trained by what is cool and what's popular in culture. But this role is to the parents. You, you bring them up in training, in, in discipline, in learning God's ways. And then that other word is instruction. This is like coaching. You, you have to coach your kids on when they face trouble and problems. And we talked about uh, that last week, how when your kids are younger, uh, you don't coach them as much because it's high control because you, you want them to, to understand what's safe and what's not. And you, you're really just kind of over them a little bit more. But then as they get older and they have a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more wisdom, then you have to kind of not be so hands-on and, and you have to coach them more. And so the idea is if they run into a problem with a friend that hurt their feelings, how do you coach them so they know how to respond? What are the things that they do? What do they say? How do they deal with maybe an authority figure, a teacher, somebody that, that's harsh with them, or they feel like they've been unfairly treated? And so that's part of this, this instruction. Now, if you do this, is this bringing this up, this rearing, and there's this training and there's this instruction involved, your child will, will grow and the, the family will grow. And this actual kind of atmosphere is, is also related to marriage. And again, it's related to church life. It's a place where, where there's learning and there's this cherished relationships. These relationships are important to us. We want to do them a God's way. Learning and nourishment happen and it's, it's rich and, it, and it's helpful. Now, just for a moment, if you're younger, you're in this right now, but if you're older, uh, the question is, does, did you experience this, with your, and you don't have to answer this, but this is something for you to think about. Did you experience this with your own parents, this bringing up, this nourishment, this training, this discipline? Did you experience this? If you didn't experience it, it can be harder because you're, you're, you're like trying to unlearn maybe what you grew up with and relearn or learn for the first time a new way. And this is where the church helps because we actually are families committed together to doing this. 
And most of the time, we just don't know what to do. When you're deep in just your family and the problems you're trying to figure out, it's very hard to know your bearings. It's easy to get lost. So the church exists that we can come together and say, you know what, I'm kind of stuck here. And there's a group of families that are all trying to do this at different stages. People have different wisdom based on their experiences and their maturity. But God uses the church body to help us. The question is, without the church family, without the scriptures, where would we be trying to figure out how to do family life? Think about that. Where would you go? How would you learn? You could pick up a book. These are pages that are speaking of just case studies. But what about your life? What about specifics? And so the church really does come alongside the family in in helping here. Now, if you are a parent, your stewardship is like nobody else can train your kids like you can. That's a role specific for you. And God gave you the exact kids he wanted to give you. That's a beautiful opportunity and a lot of responsibility. But again, we're doing this together. So this is the environment, this bringing them up, this instruction, this this discipline. So how, how does it happen? Well, there's two key things. This is the next point. Truth and love are the major elements of the right atmosphere. Truth and love. So another question for you, and this one you can participate in. You guys ready? So truth and love. So truth I'm going to talk about, and love I'm going to talk about. But without understanding kind of each implication, think for a moment. If you were to categorize either your family now or the family that you grew up with, and you have to choose only one, would your family be more truth or more love? On the count of three, I want you to yell out. And you can't be like, love, okay? I mean, you can actually. I'll let you do that. One, two, three. That was a lot of love, it seemed like. Okay, well, let's dig in. Ephesians 4, 15. This is where we get the basis. Now, this is specific to church life, but the implications apply to family life. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So speaking the truth, what? In love. Now, the emphasis here is uh, communication, but this speaking is also really speaking to this relating. There's always truth in love. Now, when you start a scripture like I am in verse 15, it says, instead, then you're wondering, well, why is that word there? Well, in verse 14, Paul is writing that there's, there's problems within the church. There's false idea, ideas happening, there's deceit, and there's crafty people. And this can happen in, in home life. It's easy for us to get in a place where we, we're kind of at odds with each other. We're all trying to get our own way. We could deceive each other. We're not telling the truth to each other. And relationships just begin to break down. And that, that can be normal because of our hearts because we've all sinned, and we all just have a stubborn selfishness to get our own ways. That's why we get frustrated when our goals get blocked, when somebody does something that we don't want them to do. It's like, oh, it bothers us. That's what Paul's saying. Instead of the craftiness and speaking lies and deceiving each other, we have an opportunity to speak the truth in love. There's a new normal that we can experience. And notice that when you do that, you'll grow up there's this maturity. Remember this atmosphere? It leads to growth. You'll grow up into him. And who is the him? It's, it's talking about Christ. Now, there's a contrast between truth and love, but you have to have both of them uh, together. 
And if you lean towards one side over the other, there's actually some things that aren't helpful. If, if you grow up in a family or your family right now has all truth but no love, everyone suffocates. This is the environment where you're walking on eggshells. Like you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do because you're not sure if you're gonna get in trouble or not. Now this can also happen, uh, this is what I call like family gatherings for holidays. You go within your extended family, and the bigger the extended family, the more the atmosphere is mixed. You got a bunch of atmospheres coming together. Because everyone's trying to figure out, like, what are we supposed to do? You know, in some families, like, everyone goes into the kitchen, and everyone pitches in and helps. And in other families, you don't go in mama's kitchen. You break that rule, you better go get a hotel. Okay, maybe not that extreme. But it's, it's that eggshell walking. So sometimes that could be all truth but no love. Now, if you have love but no truth, that's actually what our culture is speaking. Just just love. Everyone needs to love each other. That's all you need. It's just love. Everything will just come together. But if you have love with no truth, actually love breaks down. Because without truth, you know, there's no justice. Without justice, then then love actually just, again, it, it just ravels or unravels because it can't be held together by morality. Without truth, there's no morality. Love cannot sustain itself. So some of this is we have to be careful of the ideas that we can come up with in our minds or the ideas that are fed to us through the world, through the culture. You have to have truth and love. And God's given us both. Think about that. He's given us his word, which is the truth, capital T. And then he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. There's no other love that we could experience greater than that. So God himself is this model of truth and love going hand in hand. Uh, Tim Keller, he was a church planter in New York City. He actually just recently died, uh, died from cancer. But he was a great thinker, author, helpful to me over the years. He, he says this on his book on marriage. It says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. There's a lot of comfort when we understand this. Truth, we have flaws, we need help. Love, God will help us. He sent Christ to prove it. So let's talk a little bit about truth. God wants my family, your family, all of our families to be filled with truth. He wants our church family to be filled uh, with truth as well. Now, when you talk about truth specific to family life and relationships, um, it can seem somewhat ambiguous. Well, how do you know what the truth is? Well, again, that's God's word. And so one of the greatest things you can do for your family and for your relationships is to dig into God's word for yourself. Spend time letting God speak to you. And if you're new to the Bible, I often tell people to start in the book of John. You could learn about Jesus himself. And then you could read the book of Acts, which is about the start of the church and how God works through people. And then you could read the book of Romans. So the idea is just that jar. You're opening up the Bible as this jar that can give you the truth. And Romans is speaking about just our own righteousness versus Christ's righteousness, how we can be made whole. So I encourage you to get into the scriptures for yourself. But I also have a resource for you if, if this would be helpful 
And this is a paper that's back at the, uh, the Next Step table. And these are called Destination Goals. Uh, this was put together by Harold Bullock, who's been a great resource to me over the years for church organization, but also family life. And he wrote these destination goals, and there's 10 of them, which summarize the major truths of Scripture and really set the direction for how we should live. And so it's specific to, uh, if you're a parent, what are the 10 things that you really want to focus on as you're raising your kids? In your marriage, what are the 10 things that, again, you're focused on as you're teaming together? And even in in church life, the same. And so uh, these are at the back table. I encourage you, you can pick this up. This is just a helpful resource for you, and it has uh, scriptures on there. This will give you a sense of the truth of, of God's word. So let's focus on the truth. So I can help my family be filled with truth by a few things. And here's scriptures that I'm not gonna read, but I encourage you again to get into this yourself, read it for yourself. The first is uh, example. Uh, your life is the beginning of the truth that people will see. And it's the way you live, it's, it's your example. So the question is, is it, does my example reflect the truth of God's word? Uh, that's something that we have to continue Uh, to work with. But kids specifically, they're not listening so much to your words. They're watching what you do. Now, how many of you are parents here? And that is like really discouraging. Because you think to yourself, well, I keep telling them and I have great reasons and I have point A and point B. And then I have the board of the illustration of why that should make sense. And then do you ever just look at your kids and it just seems like it goes in one ear and out the other? You know, like you become your parents when you start saying the things to your kids that your parents said to you. That's when it gets real. But oftentimes, they know, like they don't need to know any more from you. They, they need to see it. And so the example is one of the best ways for the truth uh, to become real. Uh, this isn't perfect. Oftentimes, kids will learn a lot by your bad example and how you make it right. Or your bad example and how you don't. And so if you say one thing with your mouth, but with your life, you don't back it up, they disregard that truth. It's no longer real. Because if it's not real enough for you to live it out, why would they do it? That's something to think about. Example. The second is applying God's truth uh, to problems and situations. Uh, Hebrews 5.14 talks about this. The idea is there's experiences happening all the time where in family life, we can speak and point to the truth of what God is doing. Next week, we're talking about weathering the storms. And I'm gonna be at Church in the Valley Alhambra celebrating their 10-year anniversary. This was a church that I helped get start uh, started many years ago. Well, 10, 10 years ago. <laughs> that math made so much sense in my head. Um, and so next week, I won't be here. The opportunity to celebrate with them, but Ben Montgomery will be speaking about how do you maximize trouble um, in your home? Like, how do you help your kids when they're in that and as a family? And uh, for my wife and I, I was just asking her this morning, um, how we kind of experienced this. And one of the things like this past month that we experienced, I don't know if you've had months like this as a family, but uh, just expenses that you didn't expect. And we've had teeth issues, medical issues, and car issues. And sometimes those all seem to fall on the same exact month. I get an amen on that? Like, yeah, like that. Like, we feel that, you know? And, and then you're like, how does, that, how does that happen? And so we've been talking to our kids about different decisions we have to make. And sometimes it means we have to say no to things. And then our kids just are asking the question, like, are we, like, are we, are we poor? Like, you know, kids are always wondering that. Like, 
do we need to walk everywhere now? Like, you know, and so no, it's, it, these are just things that are unintended, like we didn't see them coming, but God will provide as he always will. And we're gonna trust in him. And over the past month, in the middle of these expenses, we've had four also unexpected gifts from people and situations that have just been a picture of God's faithfulness. And so you have to talk about what you're going through as a family, and then you have to talk about what God does. And if you have your kids experiencing that when you pray and ask God for help, he helps, they now know that God will help them because they've experienced it. It's so important. And so sometimes we don't want to talk about problems as a family. We act like they don't exist. But talk about problems. You know, you want to filter it so your kids aren't like, oh my goodness, the wall's falling apart. You know, like it's overwhelming to them. But let them in and allow them to see how God comes through. That's part of the truth. A third thing is, is doing a justice. You see the scriptures, Proverbs 29, James 2. Um, this actually provides stability. Now, how many of you grew up in like more than one sibling? Like you had brothers and sisters. You weren't just an only child. Okay, if you're an only child, anyone just an only child here? Okay, so if, if you're an only child, this is a little bit different because you were always the favorite. In my family, I was always the favorite. I'm just kidding. I do have two older sisters, and I'm a young. Was that the most younger brother statement ever, right? But depending on where you, you fall, even in birth order, your experience in the family is very different. And I joke with my older sister. It wasn't until we started to have kids, and then I look at how we began with our oldest daughter, and then now how it's trickled down to our, third, or our second son, our third kid, and I just said, yeah, it, it is different. Like when you were born, we didn't know what we were doing. And it made sense to us at the time, but now we've shifted some things. And the, most older kids are like, yeah, I know that. We never ate out back then, right? Different things like that. But the idea of justice is you have to be paying you know, careful attention to this idea of like there's no, there's no favorites. And you have to maintain the same instruction discipline for all your kids. Now, they're different personalities, and your approach can change, but you don't want your children feeling like they're either uh, just where they stack up on whether they're liked or loved. And consequences. You have to stay consistent with consequences. Now, things change. Again, those could be different depending on your, your children. But you really have to make sure, oftentimes in the earlier years, as you have less kids, you could be more focused and attentive. And then by your third kid or fourth kid or fifth kid, it's like, yeah, we... It's shifted, but the shift is okay as long as there's consistency. And so that's the idea of, of, of justice. So example, allowing or applying God's truth to problems and then doing justice. And then the, the last one is, is being honest. This is Ephesians 4.25. Being real with what going, what's going on. As your kids get older, they really need to experience an environment, and that's gonna come a lot from love, which I'll talk about in a moment, but they need to experience an environment where uh, the family, we, we talk about things. Like, we don't have to hide. We don't have to act like we have it all together. We don't have to just fake it. Because what happens is, if you begin just to fake it, and your kids know, then really the, the truth no longer grows. And so being honest, uh, one of our values here at Ridgeview is to live an honest, open life before others. That really is modeled best in home life. And so we want our children, 
and you want your children to be able to share what's going on in their life and to understand, like, if they do share what's going on, even if it's hard, even if they're struggling, that there'll be a response from you as parents where they're accepted. Doesn't mean you agree, but it means that you still love them and you still like them, even if you don't like their choice. That's very important. It's the same in, in, in church life. We have to have an environment where people can actually be honest about where they are and who they are and where do they go from there. So that's truth. And then the truth saturates my family in an atmosphere of love. So this is now how the truth actually soaks in. It doesn't just happen because you say it. It happens because of love in the atmosphere. And I'm gonna go through this really quickly. Ephesians 4.32 is a very helpful verse for me over the years. Actually, very convicting. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So who's the basis, God? In Christ, through his forgiveness, we can experience real love. Many times in family life, we're trying to prove ourselves, prove our worth, question our worth, and we look to our family to give it to us. But if you've never decided to follow Christ, you'll always be chasing approval that God wants to give you. And once you're approved by God and accepted by God, it doesn't matter what you experience in any other relationship. It can be painful, but if you have the acceptance of the holy and living God and you have the love of his son, you can be made whole. So this atmosphere of love is so important, and the basis, again, is God himself. So an atmosphere of love includes an abundance of kindness and goodwill. I want you to think about both of those words. Those are very important. If there's not kindness in your home, your kids, and even as a married couple, you don't receive instruction. Think about coaching again. If you've had a coach that actually knows who you are, knows your name, cares about you, cares about your welfare, you'll listen to what they say. But if you question, somebody accepts you and they like you, they're for you, then you tend to not listen. And so love with kindness and goodwill, really allows truth uh, to grow. Kindness is that key for that temperature. Kindness really drives up the warmth. Like they, parents, they, they love me. They wanna be around me. And then goodwill, it's really helps grow emotional stability and it cuts against anger and hostility. Again, you're not having to jump through these hoops. Like, I, I'm meeting you right where you are. I'm gonna think the best of you. I'm for you, I'm in your corner. This does wonders in family life. So how do we create that? Well, a couple things. First is through acceptance, Romans 15. Uh, in that passage in Romans 15, it re- really means to receive. And so the idea is I'm receiving those in my family and I'm building bridges to them, and I really want this relationship uh, to grow. Now, oftentimes what cuts against acceptance is, again, the hostility, it's harshness, it's maybe being overly corrective, it's nagging. Those things are needed, but oftentimes if there's this kindness and goodwill that just shows the fruit through acceptance, people will really receive what you have to say. And then the second is affection. Now, I'm gonna just speak to this. This is actually something in in our own family like we've had to grow in. And so one of the things you wanna do as if you're a married couple is it is good to be affectionate in front of your kids. 
like hold hands, hug. I don't think I've ever said this in front of people, like, you know, just love each other, you know? But that, that's important because what kids are watching is like, do my mom and dad actually like each other? They love each other? They're, they're picking up. They see every eye roll. You know that? They see every, right? They see it. And they don't know what to do with that. And they're watching. But they also see like the way a dad looks at his wife. And they embrace. It's very important. And also, it's very important to be affectionate with your kids. This is something that I actually have to like really pay attention to. My kids are a little bit older. So you're when you're younger and they're crawling, you're just picking them up. But when you're older and they're crawling, they don't crawl anymore, and then it's harder to pick them up, but you still have to figure out how to give affection to them. That's very important. For parents, one of the ways you can build the affection is, is go on dates with each other. If you've got younger kids, this feels like, how would that ever happen? But if you can, try to set some time aside to go on a date. Try to just go once a month, if nothing else. If you're like, we can't do that, we're just, there's no way. Just, okay, three months, go one date. Just, just start where you are, but go on a date. And you tell your kids, they understand. And even if they don't, you can just tell them anyways, and they just go. Say, you know, mom and dad, we really love each other, and we need to spend some time together. To reconnect, to talk, to just sit and be like, what are we gonna talk about? Because the kids aren't here, you know? And then... If you're a parent, especially this is the, the dad, if your dad tried to go on dates with your kids, that's really important. If you have daughter, go on a daddy-daughter date with her. Try to get some time where you can really connect, find out what's going on in her world. My wife and I have been talking about, I'm modeling to my daughter the type of man that she should marry. First off, I said my daughter in marriage. I don't ever want to say that again, right? She's 16, but that's true. And so it's like, if I'm distant, if I'm not really engaging her, what am I saying? Now, as I've gotten older, I don't say dates with my boys anymore. They're 14 and 11. You know, he's like, we call it bro time. But you got to get bro time. Really important. That's part of affection and it's a part of acceptance. We've talked kind of about this already, but this linked to approval. That's another way of love that grows. Um, when my daughter was younger, a mentor had shared this with his daughter, and it was really helpful for me. To his daughter, he'd say, you know, if I lined up all the girls in the world, I would still choose you. It's very powerful for a daughter to hear their dad say. So for me, it's oftentimes now, it's like my daughter's 16, just looking at her and say, I love you, honey. I'm so proud of you. So proud of what you're doing. Showing affection, trying to engage. Yesterday, my wife and I were watching a movie, and I wanted her to watch it with us. It's like, come down, like, watch, watch the movie with us. But she didn't really want to, and so I just kept nagging her until she did, you know. <laughs> but it's like, I want to spend time with you. Come down, and that, that, that's part of that approval. And then the last, just where love grows, is, is for forgiveness. And just an environment where we, we are not gonna let these, these offenses stack up. If you let the offenses stack up, then, then bitterness 
uh, really, really gross. So I hope, hope that makes sense. This is the truth. We've talked about that. And that's love. And you have to have both. And depending on what you grew up with, you, you could lean one to the other. There's going to be seasons of your life when your kids are at a certain age and stage. Like sometimes the younger your kid is, it's just like, it feels like it's just truth all the time because they're just making a lot of bad decisions. And then you get in the teenage years and it could feel very similar. But you, you have to have both. And so oftentimes for my wife and I, I said, you know, in our family, we've probably struggled more with, with erring on the side of truth. Sometimes that's just based on your wiring, your personality. And so we have to really pay attention to the, to the love factor. I make sure I don't say that at home. Let's pay attention to the love factor, kids, you know kind of freaks them out a little bit. But, but the idea is like, we, we do have to pay attention to that. It's, it's really important. And so oftentimes what you have to do is just sense, if you, you sense like your, your family is disconnected or distant from each other, just ask God to allow you to connect to your kid's heart. Sometimes you lose their heart. It's easy for that to happen. That could be for a variety of reasons. You don't know what's going on in their world. So if you feel like that this morning and you just feel like you're kind of disconnected and there's a distance, just ask God, God, will you help me to be able to connect to their heart? And as you do, the relationships can grow. Um, I want to close. We're, we're running late, but some people ask some questions, and I just want to briefly uh, answer these. Um, band, if you guys want to come up so you're set, I'll, I'll go quick. But here's the first question. Can you talk about the boundaries of place or boundaries or place of humor in creating a warm and welcoming home environment? Great question. Okay, we're just supposed to love each other and there's truth so we don't have any fun anymore, right? Like, that's part of that. Now, humor is actually good, a part of the, the family life, which can be helpful. What you just need to watch out for is humor, one, at other people's expense. So sometimes there could be like one person in the family that everyone picks on. And, and it's like, well, they, they like it and everyone does it. But sometimes that person that's picked on is being crushed every time. They, they just don't feel like they could say anything. Because if everyone laughs at their expense and then they make a note about that, it's like giving more ammunition. So just be careful. Like, are we building the family up? And so sometimes it's just joking at other people's expense. Sarcasm, you got to be careful for that, especially when kids are younger. You say something, and if it's sarcastic, they begin not knowing if what you're saying is true or not. So now, your very words... They're trying to gauge, is this something I take seriously or not? And then how do they know what to take seriously and when not to? And then think about body language and all. It, it can be very complex. So younger, kids especially, it can be really confusing. So you just, you want to watch out. You want to watch out for that. Uh, please talk about healthy boundaries between married adults and their parents. No need to parent as it causes frustration, conflict, and unneeded stress. Uh, this isn't just married adults. If your kid is now an adult, you cannot parent them anymore. Do you want to parent them still? Yes, you do. And you will, maybe for many years, but you can't. Because if you do, it actually starts eroding truth and love. Because the point of parenting is to help raise your kids to become responsible adults and to launch them. If you don't do that, then now... The, the lines get blurred. Well, how am I supposed to be responsible and stand on my own two feet, but yet my parents still are telling me what to do? And so that sends mixed messages. And then oftentimes, if you're an adult and your parents still are parenting you, then love begins to erode because, you, you, again, it suffocates. 
So you, you want to watch out for that. And then the, the third, I'm not going to answer this, but I'd be happy to talk if this was your question. Would like more info on divorce, co-parenting, and step-parenting when both parents are still involved. Um, if you are in a blended family, you really do have to have the parents involved. But to answer this, you have to ask the question, are the parents that are involved on the same page and have the same goals? So it's very difficult to answer the question without knowing that. So if that's your question, I'd be happy to, to talk with you about that. I'm not going to read this, but in your listening guide, uh, there's a psalm called Psalm 103. And I encourage you, uh, read this this week. That's the basis for how we have the truth and love. It's, again, because of God and what he's done through Christ. So next steps, you'll see those. Um, I should encourage you first, reflect on your own home atmosphere right now. We've talked about love. We've talked about truth. Uh, what are some insights? That's a good question. So you might want to think about that yourself. If your spouse is a part of Ridgeview and they're hearing this too, you may want to uh, think about it for yourself and then talk to them as well. And just take notes. What are some things that you maybe are emphasizing too much or not enough? Take some time to reflect. And then second next step, if, if you're not a Christian yet, we've been talking about God's power and his forgiveness and the truth that we find in his word. If you're not yet a Christian, that's the starting point for you. Decide today to become a Christian. Give your life to him. And uh, we'd love to help you uh, learn that. So those are the next steps. Come back next week. We'll talk about how do we weather the storms together. Thank you for being here. If I've not met you, I'll be by the next step table in the back. Let's pray together. God, thank you for, again, the basis of truth and love, which is found in you and the foundation and family, which you have designed. And God, I ask that just our homes, our families will be filled with truth and love so that we can grow and mature. Just show us if there's aspects of just the truth that we're missing or aspects of love that we need to continue to build. And I, again, I pray against discouragement and that feeling of just being desperate. But Lord, in you, we, we have the help and we have the power that we need. And so I just pray for anyone here that's not yet decided to follow you and surrender their life. I, I ask that you'll just draw them to yourself, help them to see that they can be forgiven and they're accepted by you. And God, we pray for our spiritual family here as a community that this truth and this love will also be the characterization of us as well. For this we ask the power and the blessing of your son Jesus. Amen.